0: Well, if you've got a Bible, we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 4 this evening. Uh, anybody got a Bible? Anybody sitting with a Christian nearby them? Hopefully you'll find a Bible in a church like this one. And I am so honestly so excited about this evening. We're going to have an uh, amazing night tonight. I'm going to preach this message for the next 30 minutes. At the end of it, we're going to open up this front of this auditorium this evening, and we're going to pray for anybody in this service who's in need of a miracle. So if you need a miracle in your life, then we're gonna believe for miracles. And our, our God is a miracle-working God. I need, I need a little may, amen out there. For, for us, miracles are miracles. For God, miracles are deeds. When, when you give a sandwich to somebody, that's a deed. When God gives a lung to somebody who doesn't have one, that's a deed. But for us, we call it a miracle because it's impossible in our realm. And I say that to say to every person in this room tonight, that what's impossible for people is possible with God. So when we start talking about miracles, just realize what we're believing for is that what God can do, He will do. And tonight I want to talk to you um, a message that's very much foundational in my life, uh, foundational in our church. And the message for this evening is simply just entitled, A Miracle Room. A miracle room. We're gonna read out a, a bunch of scriptures. So if you have a Bible, Second Kings chapter 4 and verse 8 is where we're gonna dive into this. Are you ready this evening? Yeah. The Bible says, One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well to do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, she stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair, and a lamp for him, then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So one day when Elisha came, he went up to his room, and he lay down there. And he called his servant Gehazi, called the Shunammite. So he called her, and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her, Elisha asked. And Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. And he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Do not mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son just as Elisha had told her. And the child grew And one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father called his servant, carry him to his mother. Because that's what dads do when their kids are sick. Send them to their mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. So she went up and she laid him on the bed of the man of God. Then she shut the door and she went out. And she called her husband and said, please send me... Uh, one of the servants and a donkey so that I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Verse 27, when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said. Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes. Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak in your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. If anyone meets you, don't greet him, And if anyone greets you, don't answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I won't leave you. So he got up and he followed her. And Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face. But there was not a sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. And when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy dead on his couch. And he went in and he shut the door and he prayed to the Lord. He got on the bed and he lay upon the boy mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. And as he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times, I've no idea why, and, and opened his eyes. Then Elisha got, summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. And when she came, he said, take your son. She came in. She bowed to the ground. She took her son and she went out. That's like a sermon in a Bible reading, right? I love this story. It means so much to me in my life. And the Bible tells us about the stories at the beginning that simply there was a prophet. And the Bible tells us about this prophet that he would often pass this woman's house by. Now, in the Old Testament, when we see the word prophet, we're we're reading of somebody who would declare the word of the Lord. They didn't have Bibles. They didn't have a New Testament. And so in this environment, they would wait, and a prophet would declare God's word. Now, we understand in our New Testament faith that Jesus is the word. He is the word of God. And by the way, every person in this room has been tremendously blessed by access daily to the Word of God. The greatest gift God ever gave you was salvation, and second only to that was the ability to read His Word. God's Word is so powerful, and Jesus is the Word. And so this prophet in our passage represents for us the God who passes people by. The Bible says that Elisha would often pass this place by. And the God that we worship, my friends, is not a static God. He is not an aloof God or a removed God. We worship a God who in moments in our lives goes from out there to right there. A God who passes us by when we feel His closeness, are in awe of His proximity. Moments of worship when you could just almost reach out and touch Him. Am I talking to anybody this evening? If you know what I'm talking about, then just give me a little wave or something. The God who goes from out there to right there. The God who passes us by. And the Bible says that whenever this prophet would pass the woman by, that the woman wouldn't allow the prophet to simply come and then go without her having any response to the prophet. The Bible simply says that whenever the prophet would pass by, that this woman would give to him a meal. She honored that which passed her by. She honored that which drew close to her. She couldn't just let God draw close without responding to His appearing. And I want you to know, friends, that not just in the Bible, but right now, our God is still looking for a people that when He draws close to them, are going to honor the God who passes them by, who aren't going to be unresponsive to His closeness, who aren't going to be benign or somehow apathetic to the closeness and the intimacy of God. God is looking for a people that are going to respond to His arrival. That's why we lift our hands in worship. That's why we jump when we sing praise songs. We do it not for our own comfort or expediency. We do it to honor the God who passes us by. We do it to give credit where credit is due. God is looking for a people that aren't going to be unmoved by His arrival, but a people that are going to honor Him when He draws by honor him, honor him. She gave him a meal. She gave him an offering. And friends, it is important that you discover about life that in your life, whatever you feed is going to come back to you. Whatever you feed in your life is going to come back to you. I learned this through Fred. Jillian and I were on holiday, right up the top part of New Zealand. Several years in a row, this guy who owned a clifftop home would move out of his home for two weeks every January and allow Jillian and I to have a holiday for free in his clifftop house in the Bay of Islands. It was amazing. May God bless me with 10 more friends like him. And I would go to his house and we'd have the most wonderful holidays. And our third time that we went there, I arrived late one night and then we all put the kids to bed. I got up the next morning with the children, let Jillian sleep in. Why? Because you should never wake up grumpy. Never wake up grumpy. Let grumpy wake up themselves. And so I, I got up with the children. I got up with the children and I was looking after them when suddenly on the deck of the house arrived this enormous seagull. Now seagulls are rats with wings. That's what they are. They are results of a fallen world and sin being in the world in which we live. So I went out onto the deck and I shoot away the enormous seagull and he flew away. And then a couple of minutes later, he came and he landed back on the deck again. Well, now I'm getting a little bit heated. I have red hair and a fiery temper. I went back out there. I said, get out of here and I shoot him away. Well, a third time the seagull came and he landed on the deck. And the third time, my friends, I kid you not, he pooped on the deck. Well, now I'm just legit angry. I went out the other side of the house. I searched for stones like David and Goliath. I had a pocket full of stones. I was making my way back through the house thinking I'm going to teach the seagull a lesson. I'm going to lay hands on him and not lightly. And as I was making my way through the house, Jillian came out of her bedroom. She's like, hello, baby, how are you? I'm angry, she's happy. I said, good, you know what I mean? Like, that kind of. i got to switch gears here. And she said to me, John, have you met Fred yet? I said, who's Fred? She said, since we were here last year, they adopted a seagull. And we have to feed Fred every day that we're here. Why would you do that? And friends, it's true of Fred, it's true of everything. What you feed in life is gonna come back to you. I mean, we've had cats for 20 years of our marriage, 20 years of cats. I hate cats. I'm allergic to cats. Cats are going to hell. I've got a chapter and verse for you. The Bible says that there is a spirit of lawlessness at work within those who do not believe. Do not believe lawlessness. You can't tell a cat what to do. Therefore they don't believe, they're going to hell. My dog Coco does everything I tell her to do always. She's going to heaven. I've had two cats in my married life. I think they're anyway about those cats. Every day I would put them outside of the house, go to work and pray a little prayer, don't let the cat come back. But because my wife kept putting out that food bowl every single day, the truth is that even though I hated the cat, even though I prayed that the cat wouldn't come back, because we fed it, the cat kept coming back. And in your life, what you feed is gonna come back to you. If you feed hurt, hurt's gonna come back to you. If you feed negativity, negativity's gonna come back to you. If you feed your fears, then fears are going to come back to you. If you feed praise, then faith is going to come back to you. If you feed the Word of God, then miracles are going to come back to you. If you feed your love for Jesus, then life and vision is going to come back to you. Whatever you feed comes back. Whatever you feed comes back. And my friends, I want you to know about life, that God goes back to where He is honored. God goes back to where He is honored. Many Christians would love to have more of God's presence in their life. Many churches would love to have a richness of God's presence moving in their church, not realizing about that believer or that church that once they enjoyed the intimacy of God's presence, once God turned up in their meetings, but they were apathetic to His arrival, and friends, it is important to know about God. It's as true about God as it is true about anything else. God goes back to where He is honored. And if we want a people, a ch- do we want to be a church that is rich in God's presence and full of His glory, then we need to be a church that is responsive to our God and honoring of His appearing. Oh, if you're hearing me, give about 10 seconds of praise to God. He goes back to where He is honored. He goes back to where he is on it. And the Bible tells us that this woman, noticing that the prophet kept returning to her, she begins to say to her husband, I like this holy man of God. I like the fact that he keeps coming here here for a meal. I enjoy his appearance. It is wonderful to have him in our proximity. How about we do something extra so that he is able to feel at home here whenever he wants? Let's build on the roof of our house a room for Him. Let's put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp. And then whenever the prophet wants, he can come and he can stay in the room that we make for Him. Oh, my friends, I read this scripture many years ago and it struck me that this woman had no idea the power and the significance of what she did in that moment of time noticing that the man of God kept coming by. She said, I want there to be a place in our home, in our lives, in our world, where this man of God can feel at home whenever he wants to come here. And little did she know, she thought she was just building a bed on the roof of her house for a lonely prophet. Little did she know that the room she was going to make on the roof of her house was going to change the course of her life forever. The room that she built on the roof of her house became more in her world than just a room for a prophet. It became in her life and in her world, a miracle room for God. She built that room on the roof of her house, and that room literally changed the course of her life. Everything about her story, the reason why she's in our Bibles, comes from the fact that this woman built a miracle room on the roof of her house. Friends, I want you to understand about God, that God is looking in our lives for a space where He can feel at home. God is looking for a home in the hearts and the lives of people. And for many people, God draws close to them, God moves near to them, but what they fail to understand is that in our lives, we have to make room for God, space for God. We need a room for God a miracle room where God can abide. This woman built that room and it changed the very course of her life. And for us, my friends, if we would build that room, then it would change the course of our lives as well. God desires a space in our lives where He can hang out, a place in our hearts and our minds where His presence is able to dwell. And if there is one thing that every Christian needs in their life, it's a miracle room for God. It's in your heart, it's in your mind. It's in your thoughts and it's in your dreams, a miracle room for God. If there is one thing that every church needs to be, not an empty auditorium with fancy lights. I mean, I praise God for our production team. I thank God for our worship team. But what our church needs more than anything is a friendly environment to the presence of the Holy Spirit. What our church needs more than anything is a natural habitation where God can dwell. Am I talking to anybody tonight? What we need to build as a church is a church that is a miracle room for the presence of Jesus. See, I got set on fire for Jesus when I was 19 years old, and when I got set on fire for God, my life completely changed. I began to get up every morning at 5 a.m. I would wake up in the morning, even in the depths of winter, I'd have the sheets over the top of my head because my house was cold, and I'd have the sheets over the top of my head, and I'd just spend that first hour praying. Then I'd get out my Bible and I'd begin to read it. And I'd read the Bible every day for an hour. One day in prayer, one day in the, in the Word. Just reading the Bible every single day. Then it felt like it wasn't enough. So I changed it to 4 a.m., changed my start time at work. Two hours in prayer, two hours reading the Bible. I began to memorize scriptures, like just go for it. I memorized a verse every day. Then I memorized a chapter. Then I memorized my first book. I memorized three books of the Bible before I married Jillian. I, I thought, my friends, that my, my actions, my, my worship, my prayer, my devotion to God, I thought all it was, was devotion. I thought I was just lost in God's presence. I thought it was devotion. Little did I know that it was so much more than devotion. It was devotion, yes, but so much more. Do you know what it was? It was construction. Because every hour of prayer, I became more familiar with His presence. Every verse that I memorized changed the thought patterns of my mind. Every time I read the Bible and God spoke to me, I became more familiar with His voice in my life. And friends, it was more than just devotion, it was construction. I was building in my life a miracle room for God. That's what God needs in your life, that's what God needs in my life, that's what God desires in our church, is a space where He can abide. A miracle room for the presence of God. Am I making sense tonight? God's looking for that miracle room. He's looking for that space in our lives. If you're going to think about the building blocks of a miracle room, there are four. There is the prayer. There is the Bible, the Word of God. There, there, is, there is worship. And there is fourthly, giving. That when these four things are elements of your life, you're building in your world a miracle room for God. I mean, when we think about it personally, every time we pray, but the truth is we're praying as a church right now. And miracles are happening because our church is in prayer. If you're out there tonight and you heard me say, I prayed for an hour, I prayed for two hours, and you're like, John, two minutes, and I'm like, what the heck do I do next? Let me tell you something. I can give you the biggest help, the biggest help that you could possibly get. Here it is. It's so easy. Tomorrow at 545 be it either the Arise Center or at the Elam Church here in the city of Wellington, and join us in our prayer meetings. Because we're gonna pray for 45 minutes, and 45 minutes is gonna pass in the click of a second, and you're gonna be like, oh my gosh, that was the quickest time of prayer ever, and you can learn to pray by praying with others. But friends, when you pray, you're building that miracle room. When you read that Bible, you're building miracle rooms. That's why in our church, we will never be a hands-in-pockets, open mouth closed church during worship. Never, never, never. It would take a divine Word of God for me to move away, Uh, a church that's going to encourage you. I'm going to go to the next level, challenge every person to be responsive to God, to sing, to close their eyes, to lift their hands, to give worship and honor where worship is due. Because we're building a miracle moon, man. And you know, the other thing is our giving. I mean, at the moment, we're about to receive this expansion offering. And every time we receive this expansion offering, it creates space for us to be able to build things for God, to make room for His presence. I want to just speak to every young adult in our church and just tell you, man, that my life wouldn't be what it is. I wouldn't have the miracle room in my mind that I do. And I need, to, I need more of God. I'm not saying I've arrived. Really, please don't hear that. But I am here to tell you that when I began to respond to God, when His voice began to tell me to give, it was instrumental in me learning how to abide the presence of God. And the giving that we give is what enables us to create spaces where God's presence can dwell. Next Sunday, we're going to receive an expansion offering. It's going to fund buildings in Whangarei and Christchurch. It's going to fund us starting two new campuses in Palmerston North and Auckland. It's going to empower our church to feed 50,000 children a year a breakfast, to go into prisons, to be able to sponsor churches in other parts of the world that are getting up and going, to be able to continue to strengthen the church of New Zealand and empower it wherever it may be found. But I want to tell you that your giving is instrumental in this miracle room that we're building together. If every person in this room was able to just commit to something that you could give, every young adult... Wearing, wearing label shoes and all that. Well, how about you just said, well, I could give $10 a week. That's $500 a year. A thousand people in this auditorium. $500 from a thousand. Susie, is that 500000 or five? You're an accountant. You're supposed to know this. Don't look at me like that. It's 500000 John Barnes beat you to it. Abby's literally got her calculator open on the front row. There's no shame there. No shame at all. You, Susie, I expect more. (laughs) Where's that St. Oran's maths class, eh? What was I talking about? Half a million dollars. It's crazy. When I was 19 years old was the first time I gave away $1,000 in my life. By the time I was 21 years old, I was giving that away every single year. I gave away $5,000 in a single offering for the first time when I was 27. Did it again every year. Then we started to rise, $20,000. Then since then, my life has continued to increase, but those building blocks of faith have been so instrumental in my journey. And next Sunday, I wanna encourage you, don't lean back, lean in. Because you, you, we can build this miracle room. We can build this miracle room. We can build a miracle room for God, a miracle room for God. Notice where she built this miracle room, my friends. She built the miracle room on the roof. If you're going to build a miracle room in your life, there's only one place you can build it. In your world, you've got to build it on the roof. Why? Because you can't build a miracle room as an extension to your life. You can't build an, a lean-to miracle room. The miracle room will never be an extension. It'll only ever be an elevation. Your God doesn't dwell in a place in your life when He's another one of your priorities when you've got your life and your sport and your God. It doesn't work like that. Your God is either an elevation or He's nothing. He will only ever be above. If you wanna build a miracle room in your life, my friend, then place God above, above your daily routine, above your intellect, above your reason, above your understanding, above your whims and fancies, your dreams, your ambitions, your desires. Our God is the most high. His ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And if we're gonna make room for our lives for our God, we have to place Him higher, higher than any other. A miracle room can only ever be an elevation. It will never be an extension. And the Bible says that she built this room and then Elisha the prophet came up and he lay down in the room. Verse 11 literally says that Elisha came and he lay down in the room. I could drop my mic and I could walk off this platform and you've got enough to know that a miracle room is powerful in your life. Because if you'll make room in your life for God, God will inhabit the space that you make for Him. I mean, friends, people make room in their lives for all kinds of crazy stuff. To binge watch Netflix, to rehearse their offenses, to go through their failures, to let lust and depravity run wander the corridors of their mind. I'm here to tell you, you might've made room in your life for all kinds of stuff. Let your mind be filled with all kinds of rubbish. But I'm here to tell you something so life-changing tonight, my friend. Let's not look backward, let's look forward. If you'll make room in your mind and your heart for God, then my friend, God will inhabit the space that you make for Him. And I don't know if I can preach this adequately, but I just gotta tell you, you haven't lived until the thoughts of God feel at home in the minds of your, of your life. I'm here to tell you that if you'll make room for God, one day you'll be just hanging out casually and suddenly dreams will come alive. Faith promises will be born. You'll get a destiny, you'll get a word for somebody. Faith for a miracle, you'll feel a sense of promise. God can speak to you about something that is to come. But in order for God conversations, there have to be a God space. She built the room, she built the room, she built the room. The next question that Elisha asks, he uses his servant as a translator. He says to Gehazi, call the woman. He doesn't speak the same language. She's brought before Elisha, and Elisha says, can you ask her, what can we do for you? What can we do for you? Now, friends, I need you to understand something. The Bible, sometimes the Bible's really just polite. You know what I mean? It starts off by saying, a well-to-do woman. That's like Bible translators trying to get some word and translate it cutesy into English. And so the Bible just calls her well-to-do, okay? Everybody under the age of 18 who has no idea what that phrase means, it means the girl's filthy rich. She's loaded. She's got a Bentley. She's got a Mercedes. She has a private jet. She has holidays in the Bahamas. She has all the stuff going on. The Bible calls her a well-to-do woman, okay? She's loaded. Anyone understand what I'm talking about? And yet the prophet asks the question, what can we do for her? And right now, we've got a lesson that we need to learn. Because a lot of people are thinking about their life, that if they could appear needy enough to God, that God would do something amazing in their lives. If If I could cry enough, then God would give me a miracle. If I could look repentant enough, then God would forgive me. If I, if I was desperate enough, then somehow I would be attractive to God. My friends, if your neediness was dependent on God doing a miracle for you, then you're in deep yogurt. If neediness was a prerequisite for a miracle, then we, God would never make it to New Zealand. You all ate today unless you're fasting and then you didn't. But if you could have, you would have found food. So much of the world lives, you are one of the most blessed people in, this is one of the most blessed nations on the face of the earth. I'm not saying you don't have problems, I'm just saying if it was based on neediness, God would never make it to Aotearoa. We're a truly blessed nation. It was about her need, but not because of her neediness. So why did Elisha want to do something for the woman? The answer, you want to bless the place where you feel at home. Many people would love a miracle, love God to do something great in their lives. Well, my friends, just remember this. You always bless the places where you feel at home. And when God begins to feel at home in a person's life, that's when they become a conduit for miracles. So the woman is given a promise by the prophet about this time next year, I will return and you will have a son in your arms. Or oh, does anybody in this room still believe in a God who in one calendar year can turn it all around? A God who in one year can literally reverse your trajectory, heal your body, move in your circumstances, take you out of that addiction, be rampant through your mind. A God who can release you into your dreams. A God of limitless power. If you believe God has the potential to turn it all around, then give that God some praise in this place tonight. A miracle is promised. You're going to get a boy. And then the Bible tells us that the woman pushes back. She says, no, my Lord, don't mislead me. And right now, friends, this is why you discover that a miracle room's got to be on the roof. Because if your God is not higher, then your natural mind will cancel out God's promises. This is why we have to build the miracle room on the roof and place them above our intellect and above our reason. Because what the natural mind cannot comprehend, the miracle room can receive. Do you understand me tonight? It's only when God is higher that we can receive that which He has for us. The miracle is promised. She says, no, but the miracle comes. The child is born. This woman was already naturally successful. But a miracle room lifted her from naturally successful to supernaturally favored. And I'm talking to people in this room tonight because I believe God's got a young generation coming up in our church and He is saying, I don't want you to just be naturally successful or circumstantially privileged. I want you to be supernaturally favored by God, doing things that are only explainable because you've got the living God living on the inside of your life. Come on, if you believe that, give God about 10 seconds of praise again. Tap three people and tell them it's time to build a miracle room. Then as the band come and join me, the Bible simply tells us, the Bible simply tells us that the child grows and becomes a young boy, able to talk, able to walk, able to be the daily dream fulfillment in this woman's life, her delight, her desire, her passion, her celebration, her, her beating heart, that one day the boy dies. Friends, can I get real with you? If I see a challenge to some Christians today, it is that because they have never built space in their lives, never devoted themselves to intimacy and relationship with God, that when life comes falling down, they have no place to go. Question. Where do you go when the dream you held in your hands is now a dead body and you have no life to your promise? The Bible says she took her boy and she carried him to the room. The real bonus of a miracle room is not seen in the fact that God can give you a promise and that God can give you a dream. The real Impact of a miracle room is that you have a place to take your brokenness, your tragedy, your hurt, your disappointment, your death. She took the boy to the miracle room. Then she ran to the prophet on the mountain. I haven't got time to preach this. I'd love to. But many Christians are staff carrying Christians just hoping that they can wave a Bible verse and dead things will come back to life. Sometimes the only way you can get a miracle is you've got to go to the mountain, you've got to get God, you've got to hold Him by the ankle, and you've got to pull Him back to that miracle room. Elisha came and he laid out upon the boy. He sneezed seven times. I love that. I have no idea why that's in the Bible. And then the Bible says the boy came back to life. In our passage, who's the most important character? Is it the prophet, the word of God, the one who gave the promise, who caused the boy to come from death to life? Is it the woman who made space in her life for God? Or is the most important character in our Bible the child, the boy? The boy born only through miraculous conception. The boy who died a tragic death. And then the boy who through the breath of God was raised from death to life. Does this boy remind you of anyone born of supernatural conception, died a tragic death, raised from death to life? Anybody might remember another biblical character who was born of a miraculous conception, our Jesus who died for the sins of the world, and our Jesus who was raised from death to life. What are you saying, John? I'm saying that miracle rooms have the power to bring Jesus to a generation. We're building a miracle room here at Arise Church because we're bringing Jesus to a generation. We're bringing the will of God to our generation.